Marriage, a good marriage, is one that is constantly forgiving. There's going to be things that you have to forgive each other for. And that you have to overlook sometimes, that you have to work yourself through. But you don't hold grudges with one another. You operate in forgiveness. And I think one of the keys to forgiveness is this next quote by Gary Smalley. It says this, it says, Become soft. It says, Become soft and tender with the person. Now, do you notice whenever you have unforgiveness for someone, you do just the opposite of that. You tense up and you, you have stress and you're constantly thinking about what they said or what they did to you and you're not able to be so... You have to really work at becoming soft and tender with the person. The first step is to become soft in your mind and in your spirit. There has to be a change within you. On the inside of you, you have to begin to say to yourself, hey, I'm going to be softer. I'm going to be more tender. I'm going to be more considerate. And the other point of this is to lower your voice and relax your facial expressions. A lot is said with your facial expressions without even saying any words, right? So we need to lower our voices and relax our facial expressions. This reflects honor and humility. As Proverbs 15:1 suggests, a gentle answer turns away anger. Uh, one translation says a gentle answer turns away wrath. So that's what we have to do. We need to get soft with each other, softer, and be considerate of the other person's feelings. Another quote here by Kevin Lehman. It says, marriage is not a competitive sport. If someone is winning, then someone is losing. Marriage is for both to be winners. Isn't that a great quote? It's not a competition. And if one is winning, then the other one is losing. And I really try to concentrate upon this point. I want Jackie and I both to be winners in our relationship. But if I'm constantly lording it over her or I'm always telling her to do this or to do that, or if I'm always expecting things way beyond what she's able to carry out, then she's not going to feel like a winner. And I need to do everything I can to help support her and to encourage her in all the things that she's doing so that she can feel just as much of a winner in our marriage as what I do. She makes me feel like a winner. I want to make her feel like a winner. I think it's a great way to have uh, your marriage based on those kind of things. Give me my next picture here. Paul says something very interesting here in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Think about that statement. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul is saying something extremely bold here. It's like me telling you, hey, Follow my example. Do everything that I do. Imitate me. Im imitate is to follow someone around and to do exactly the same motions, the same things, say the same words, do the same things. That's imitating that person. Paul's saying, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Man, I tell you, he's being bold about what he's saying. Now, can you look at your marriage and say, okay, you take a younger person and say, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to do everything in your marriage that I do in my marriage. Whoa, there's some things in my marriage I don't want you to imitate me in. But that is a bold statement. We all ought to get to that place where, I, where we can say, 
imitate me in your marriage the same way that I do in my marriage. And I want to get to that place to where I can honestly say that to you. Do what I've done in my marriage and your marriage will be a good one. Next slide here, cupcake. We've got a picture of a cupcake. Do you know, uh, if I were to ask you, why did you get married in the first place? Especially if I were to ask couples who have had trouble in their marriage, if I was to ask them, why did you get married in the first place? Do you know the answer that many people have is that because I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And you know, happiness should not be your goal in marriage. Happiness is a result. It's not the foundation. Does that make sense? Happiness will just happen if you are doing, if you're imitating Christ, if you're doing the things you should be doing in your marriage, then happiness will take place. But happiness should not be the reason that you're married. That's a result. It should be the cherry on the top. That's what happiness is. It's just the cherry on the top. I'm happy in my marriage. Jackie's happy in our marriage. That's the cherry on top. It's not why we got married. It's not even the, one of the foundations of our marriage. It's a result of marriage. Praise the Lord. And you know, if happiness is your foundation, then the devil is going to defeat you in that area. Because he knows every button to push in her to make him unhappy. And he knows every lever to pull on him to make her unhappy. And it's a game that he'll play in your marriage. He'll do everything in her to make you unhappy. He'll do everything in him to make her unhappy. And then you are disillusioned because you're not happy. And happy should never have been your main reason to be married in the first place. Happiness is one of the benefits. Praise the Lord. Now, Kevin Lehman, once again, the last guy that I showed you there, uh, he has these four things about how a marriage goes downhill. It has expectation. Chad, give me that frame there. Expectation. Expectation, reality, disillusionment, and license. Now let's talk about these. Expectation. You know, uh, what is expectation? Expectation is getting married and thinking that you're going to be able to sit under the stars every evening and, and be able to hold each other in your arms and look up and gaze into to the vastness of God and just love each other and feel that warm, cozy feeling every evening. It, wouldn't that be an expectation of marriage? But what's reality? Reality is that may happen sometime. Reality is that may never happen. Amen. I always pictured Jackie and I having a convertible and sitting on lover's, lover's leap, you know, and looking at the stars. That's never happened. Maybe someday it will. We have to understand uh, expectations are not always reality. Uh, reality is that it might happen and it might not happen. You know, the, the reality we have to face in many, many situations. You know, the ideal child, let's talk about that for a moment. The ideal child is this beautiful little child that is on the front page of adorable children. They're on the 
cover of this magazine. And they just look so adorable and are so well behaved every, every place that you take them. And they're just adorable little kids. And all of our kids are adorable, right? But are they always well behaved? I mean, you go to the restaurant, that's where they want to act up. That's where they are screaming and they have spaghetti up their nose and spaghetti sauce in their hair. And, you know, I was thinking about the word tomato paste. That's where they get that from is, you know, it pastes kids' hair down really well. That's what happens at restaurants. I remember whenever uh, we had Brittany, Brittany for her first seven months, she never slept over two hours at a time. And it was just incredible. And we would go to a restaurant and I, neither one of us were ever able to set through a complete meal because she just screamed bloody murder. I mean, she lived up to her red hair. And I mean, it was just for seven months, it was just war. And uh, we, we battled it in prayer. And uh, she's, she's a doll now, but man, I'll tell you what, she wasn't a doll of a baby. <laughs> she was a challenge. But that's facing our expectations and reality. Then you have the expectation, you have reality, and then you go to disillusionment. You know, disillusionment is, this is not what I expected. Uh, this isn't even the person that I thought that I had married. And you become totally disenchanted. Uh, and that, that's a dangerous place. In fact, I think that there's a lot of marriages who are in this state of disillusionment. Disillusionment is one of those situations where uh, I think many people, they stay married uh, until the children are raised. That's disillusionment. Or uh, it, they just live in dissatisfaction. Uh, they, they really wind up being in dysfunction in their marriage. And disillusionment is not a good place to be in your marriage. We need to have fulfillment. There needs to be a vision. There needs to be excitement. And disillusionment is really no place to be. You know, you become totally disenchanted. And then once you go through disillusionment, then you go to what he terms license. License is, well, since it's not what I expected, then I have the right, I'm entitled to begin to look around elsewhere. So we have expectation, and then you have reality. And if reality, if you can't live with the reality, then you go into disillusionment, and disillusionment carried long enough will then begin to give you the license or make you feel like you have the license to look elsewhere. And if you ever get to that place, you're in a dangerous place because that's not where God wants you to be. You do not have the license to begin to look elsewhere. You have the license, you have a marriage license, and you need to stick with that and realize that you can come out of this. There is healing for you. You can be saved from your situation. One guy said, the ideal has become an ordeal, and so now I'm looking for a new deal. And that's not, that's not a good place to be. You know, back to expectation. Uh, you know, many women, I believe, now this isn't always true and in every situation, but I think really many women marry hoping that he will change. This is expectation. They have an expectation that that anger issue that he has uh, will subside whenever we get married and I have time to work on him. Or his laziness. I'm going to teach him how to work. I'm going to show him that there's a, a better way than just being lazy. She's hoping that he will change. 
And most men marry hoping that she will never change. They don't want her looks to change. They don't want her admiration for him to change. And many times, neither one of those things take place. Isn't that right? Because he does change. She doesn't. She does change. And what your expectations are, are not really true. And so we have to really review our expectations and clarify. I think it's a good thing to clarify your expectations. Yesterday, we planted flowers for the biggest part of the day and uh, just worked really hard. It was a nice day most, most of the day other than that one storm that come through. And we, I, I wanted to ask Jackie, and, and I did, just ask her, you know, what do you want me to do today? What are your expectations? Because if, I, if I'd have gone and done all of my things for the day, and she was out here working hard, planting flowers and digging and doing all this stuff, and she was expecting me to have helped her, and I hadn't have done that, she would have been unhappy, right? She may never, never have said so, but I would have known it in her character. I would have known it in her behavior. But it's just better for start the day out and say, what's your expectations of where you want me what do you want me to do today? And we had a great day yesterday. We worked hard. We got a lot done. And uh, I didn't get any of my things done, but that's fine. Uh, we got a lot of her things done, and she was a happy camper. And when she's a happy camper, I'm a happy camper. Yes. Now, I want to go back once again and say something I said earlier about happiness. Happiness is not a foundation of marriage. It's a, it's a wonderful byproduct of marriage. So what is a foundation? What is a foundation of marriage? And I want to share some things here that uh, this is really for adults, but I want to share some things here that I want you to hear. Because uh, the basic foundation of marriage is that it is a covenant. It's a covenant. And God has always operated in covenant. He's had covenants down through the years with people. There's many, many covenants in Scripture, and I'm only going to list three or four of those, but there are several. You know, a covenant is an agreement. It's a contract. It's a, a mutual understanding of the terms by which two parties are to operate. We have the Abrahamic covenant, which was whenever Abraham, uh, God made this covenant with Abraham, he told him to take these animals and to cut them in two and to separate them. And then they would walk down uh, in between these animals, the blood, and then they would walk down. That was sealing the covenant. All covenants were sealed with blood. There's a, the Mosaic covenant. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant is that I'm going to bless you. The Mosaic covenant basically is you will be a blessing. That's even a better covenant, isn't it? You know, we have the Abrahamic covenant, then there's a better covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and then there's even a better covenant, the covenant of, of the New Testament. You know, the New Te Testament could properly be uh, translated the New Covenant. The New Testament, the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was based on works. The New Covenant is based on grace. And you know, there's other covenants, as I said, but those are the basic ones. And then we have the marriage covenant. And as I said before, every covenant is sealed and secured with blood. You know, we have this tradition of handshaking in, in uh, really it's all over the world. One of the things that they would do would, would be to 
if I was going to go into, let's say I'm going to go into covenant with Josh. Josh, stand up here. If you and I are going to go into covenant over a situation, let's say a piece of property, we're going to share it. We're going to do some things with it. Uh, we're going to go into covenant over this situation. You would take your wrist and you would slice it there and I would slice it there. And then we would, instead of a handshake, we would grasp like this. And then the mingling of our blood was the sealing of the covenant. That's where that came from. So covenant has always been known to be sealed with blood. Now, how does that work in marriage? Do you realize that this is the way, I want you to realize that this is the way that covenant in marriage is supposed to have worked. At a Jewish funeral, not a Jewish funeral, a Jewish <laughs> wedding. I always get those two mixed up. <laughs> at a Jewish wedding, they had, at, when they went to the reception after the wedding ceremony, there was a chamber that they called the chamber of consummation. And during the festivities of them uh, celebrating their wedding, the couple would go off into this chamber and they would consummate their marriage. There would be intercourse there in that chamber. And they even had what was called the sheet of proof. So that after they had consummated the marriage, they would bring out the sheet and they would show it to everyone with the blood on it, and everyone would cheer and celebrate. And that was part of the celebration of the reception of a wedding. Now, that can be embarrassing to a mixed crowd here, but here's what I'm telling you. Isn't it, it, you do you see how important it is for us to be raising virgins? This whole concept that we have about uh, supplying condoms and having sex, sex education in our schools is totally opposite of what Bible teaches. See, the marriage covenant was to be sealed with blood. Wouldn't it be refreshing if we were teaching our young girls and our young ladies how important it is to be a virgin? And that it's a thing before God. It's, it's a God created marriage. And for us to keep ourselves holy and pure, wouldn't it be refreshing if we were teaching our young girls the honor of being a virgin rather than them being made fun of? Do you see what I'm saying? How important this is. Wouldn't it be great if we had a culture of young men who understood the honor of being a virgin rather than feeling embarrassed because they're a virgin. That's what's taking place in our society today. We want them to make them feel like that they're, they're square, they're, uh, they're out of touch with reality. And really what we should be teaching our young people is that virginity is of the utmost honor to the Lord. Then you can go into marriage and it be sealed by blood. And that covenant will carry you through many, many problems. Why? Because God's approval is stamped on that marriage. Doesn't that make sense? How important these things are. I wish that we were teaching all of our young people these kind of things more often. It would sure be refreshing to see a culture 
begin to change back to the way that God would have it to be. I'm going to move on here now to uh, another set of Scripture. Mark chapter 10 and verse 6. It says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that when they are, uh, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, these four scriptures here tell us four things. All four of them tell us that marriage is God's idea and it's His design. That's verses six through nine. And then it tells us that marriage is between a man and a woman. It's not between two men, it's not between two women, it is two, it's between two, a man and a woman. You know, a marriage between, what they call a marriage between two men or two women is not really a marriage in the eyes of God. They could have had a ceremony, but it's not a marriage. Uh, number three, marriage is for procreation, that's in verse 8. Verse 8 says, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. That is procreation. God is for procreation. And that has everything to do with the character of God. Procreation is God's character. Seed time and harvest is multiplication. Marriage is about multiplication. That's part of, part of it. Multiplication. God is into multiplying. You know that? God wants to increase. He wants you to increase. He wants you to increase spirit, soul, and body. He wants you increasing in your spiritual life. He wants you to increase in your soulish life, your mind, your will, your emotions. He also wants you to be increasing in your physical life. Go out and sow. And what will happen? Some will receive 30, some 60, some 100. He is all about increase. And so procreation has everything to do with the character of God because He wants us to increase. Praise the Lord. And then the fourth thing is, marriage is to be permanent. That's verse 9. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, once again, I'm mindful of diff different ones who have, have divorced, and I don't want this to be a guilt trip to you. I don't want you to feel like that you're a failure uh, I want you to realize that God is in the redemption business and He can redeem your situation. And so, yes, marriage is to be permanent. But if your situation hasn't been permanent, it's not the uh, ultimate sin. It's not that God still won't use you. He will use you mightily. Uh, just get before Him and He can do great and mighty things in your life regardless of what you've experienced. Uh, let's move on to this point. Men love your wives affectionately. I always like to say men love your wife. That sounds a little odd to me to say men love your wives uh, affectionately as Christ loves the church. How do I do that? I, I have five points here I want to go over with you quickly here this morning about how do you do that. How do men, how do we love our wives like Christ loved the church? You know, the number one thing I say, ask her. Ask her, how can I love you better? What can I do in your life to make things better? Jackie, what is it that I need to change? What is it that I need to do for you today so that you will feel the utmost fulfillment? What is it that I can do? Ask your spouse that. 
Ask them. Just simply ask them, what is it I can do to make your life better? What is it I can do to make your marriage better? And then you have to do whatever she asks you to do the way that she wants it to be done. I have a tendency to do what she wants done the way that I want it done. And that doesn't work very well. So that's number two. Do it the way that she wants it done. And I've mentioned that about folding towels and, and uh, putting towels in a towel cabinet. I didn't know that there's a, a proper way to do, to do all that. I thought you just folded them up. And... No, 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 no. There's, there's a right way to, to do that. Even hanging them on the towel rack, there's a certain way that they hang on the towel rack. You know, the, the seam goes a certain way and it, the one color has to be in front of the other color. I didn't know all that stuff. I had to be trained. Uh, number three, be interested in what she is interested in. That's easier said than done. Be interested in what she's interested in. If she likes to go to the opera, oh, man, I pray for you. But <laughs> if that's what she likes, you better learn to, to at least be able to endure it and go to it. Number four, commit to listen to her. Commit to listen. Next week, we'll talk about some things that the wife can do for the husband, but Today is the husband for the wife. Commit to listen to her. Men, we are, for the most part, we're not good listeners. We hear what we want to hear. We only listen to a certain degree that we want to listen to. Uh, after so long of hearing maybe the same thing over and over, we kind of tune out. And guys, guys we, we've got to change it. You have to change that. And I'm, I, I'm still working on being a better listener. Uh, still not good at it, but I'm working on it. I want to be a better listener. Do you know the, the top three things that they say are the problems in a marriage are communication, sex, and money. Communication, sex, and money. Communication. Guys, the best way for us to communicate is to learn to be a good listener. You have to not only hear what they're saying, but hear the heart in what they're saying. And that takes some time. It takes some concentration. It takes some doing. To learn how to do that. But be committed to, to be a, a good listener. Um, most of us are problem solvers. And so what happens, I know in my situation with Jackie, she'll start sharing some things that's going on and all the busyness of this, that, and the other and helping our daughter with uh, our granddaughter graduating and she's going to help uh, our niece's graduation and she's got all these things going on. And she's telling me all these things, then I have a tendency to kind of tune out instead of tune in. I need to learn to tune in. And we just have to be better listeners. And don't be a problem solver. She comes up with something that's going on that's not turning out like she wants to. I've got the answer for that. I know exactly what you should do, and I can give it to you in, in, in a heartbeat. But that's not what she's looking for. She's looking for someone, what did, I, what did we say the very first week? Women want rapport. Men want to report. She wants to, re she wants to talk. She wants to share. She wants to have this exchange about the conversation. She's not looking for me to give her a quick answer. Number five is this. Understand her love language. And we're going to go into greater detail uh, in some weeks to come on this. Understanding her love language. Gary Chapman wrote a great book. It's one I handed out a couple weeks ago. I have some more in the office, but uh, we're going to go into this a little deeper. 
physical touch, some women, some men, they really are into the physical touch. Uh, quality time. Other people are really more into the quality time than they are the physical touch. Or it could be a little bit of both. Uh, words of affirmation. Some people just really need a lot of encouragement. They need to hear from their spouse uh, words that affirm them, that cause them to feel like that they're doing what they are uh, to be doing, that they're accepted. So we have physical touch. We have quality time. We have words of affirmation. We have acts of service. Um, I, I just really thought that Jackie would really like to sit on the couch and spend time and we could cuddle and we could talk about things. But you know, really what ministers to her is whenever I serve her, whenever I help her plant flowers, whenever I help her to do the things we did yesterday. Man, she felt like she was loved yesterday. Man, I loved her up yesterday because we worked together. We did, did a lot of things together. Uh, we didn't touch. We didn't... Uh, really even talk a lot, but we were just out doing things together. That's what she really likes, that acts of service. And then the last one is gifts. Uh, some of you are real gift buyers and you're really good gift givers. Uh, our son and his wife, they both just absolutely love gifts. Jackie and I, we don't care whether we ever get a gift or not. It's just not a big deal. It's not, it's not on our radar. It really doesn't matter. But some people really thrive on, on that. The best thing you can do is learn what your spouse's motivations are. What is it that motivates my wife? What is it that motivates my husband? Is it, is it physical touch? Is it quality time? Whatever it is, and you really need to pour yourself into that. And here's what you'll find. Usually what they really want is what you don't want to give. Why did God put us together like that? I, I think it's so that we will grow. I don't really see myself necessarily as an over and above servant but I'm learning to be an over and above servant to her because that's what fulfills her. That's what makes her happy. And so you may have to become and grow in an area that you're not necessarily strong in. It's going to make you a better person, but it's also just ministering to your spouse. Praise the Lord. Isn't that good stuff?